0: Hi, welcome to Innovating Leadership, Co-Creating Our Future. Today, we're going to talk about JEDI space principles for CEOs and board directors. I'm your host, Maureen Metcalf. I'm the founder and CEO of the Innovative Leadership Institute. Our work includes helping leaders identify the disruptive trends that are most impacting them and develop strategies to transform themselves and their organizations to thrive now and in the future. I'm also a fellow with the International Leadership Association. Today's show has two segments with two different guests. Our first segment is Dr. Christopher Washington, a repeat regular guest on our show and a precious friend. He is from Franklin University, and he'll give you more of his background. The second segment is with Valerie Grant, the Managing Director of Geotech Vision and one of the five 2020 We Empower UN Sustainability Development Challenge Award winners. We are also delighted to have Valerie step away from her role to talk to all of us about her accomplishments and what helped her get there. So let's start with Christopher. Can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and then we'll talk about how leaders can change the nature and equity within organizations and that, in fact, leaders must take an incredibly active role to bring this about.
1: Well, I'm, I'm just delighted that I get the opportunity to share with your listeners the notion of the JEDI space. You know, for my part, I'm an international educator. I've always been concerned about creating accessible, inclusive, and relevant education in a role as an educator, I serve as provost and executive vice president of Franklin University, as you might note it. But in addition to that, I've served on more than a dozen boards and currently serve on the board of the International Visitors Council. I'm a member of the Forbes Nonprofit Council, and I'm the immediate past chair of Global Ties U.S. and Washington, D.C., And so I'm really interested in sharing what I've learned from working with leaders, both CEOs and board chairs, and as a board chair, about these Jedi principles.
0: And so we are not talking Star Wars, just so those of us of a certain age associate Jedi with Yoda— who was my favorite character, by the way. So you recently wrote an article, How Nonprofit CEOs and Board Chairs Can Cultivate Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. What inspired you to write that article?
1: I think two things, Maureen, really inspired me to write this article. One is my own personal life experiences. And secondly, you know, I'd always been attracted to life on college campuses. And I think they're very special places that really support or wrestle with the notion of just, equitable, diverse, and inclusive environment. So if you take my life experiences, you know, my parents migrated from the South to the North and they intended to escape segregation and injustice in the South. And they landed in the North where they experienced a number of traumatic experiences based on their cultural backgrounds and violence that they experienced and seen and viewed in the neighborhood as well. And in public spaces like our parks And so as a kid, seeing that, knowing my own parents' history gave me a sense that things weren't right, that things could be different, that there is injustice in the world, and that I was making very conscious decisions on my own to seek safe spaces to to learn and grow and work and play. Those are some of my own life experiences. And being attracted to college campuses, wow, there's a lot of diversity on college campuses. Thirty years ago when I started working in higher education— and as I mentioned before, college campuses are places where you expect people to wrestle with diverse ideas, diversity. They're not perf- they're not perfect places. But you get to go beyond the numbers of high- in higher education. You know, most corporations look at diversity in terms of the number of people they have in different groups. Mm-hmm. But in, in higher education, you look at the space itself and the kind of environment that supports diversity of people. How do we? take action to bend the long arc of history toward more just and fair and purposeful caring environments. That's why I was inspired to write this article.
0: Well, and and as you say diversity, I also think of diversity of thought and how brilliant you are at creating an environment where it's okay to grapple with ideas, to have different perspectives and as long as they are expressed I want to say appropriately, and I realize appropriate could range, but as long as they are navigated with respect, those conversations and that discussion, discourse, dialogue allows people to step away from their current stance and take other positions so that they can expand their perspective.
1: It is a way for us to move forward. I believe we can move forward. And, you know, there's, if you just take people's histories, there, There's history of slavery and social oppression. There's all kind of deep-rooted issues when we talk about diversity in various communities around the world. Uh And so, you know, college campuses, universities, universe cities Uh are places where you have broad perspectives. It is what makes a university a strong place that we have different cultures, different peoples, different ideas. But we also need to embrace that as a place then that we can wrestle with, promise to to do right, and to improve the human condition.
0: So what are these initiatives trying to accomplish in the workplace and in society? And and I think you've alluded to it, but can you fill that out just a little bit more?
1: Yeah, I, I think
0: these initiatives
1: are saying we need to do right, you know, that we need to favor the collective wisdom of humanity in the way that we act and the way that we treat people. I think in societies where... The government is based upon principles like liberty and justice and fairness that we need to be about keeping that promise. You know, so what do we do as citizens to assure that we are granting rights and privileges to people, to all people that are part of our community? And I think we're working hard to avoid injustice with these efforts. And in organizations today like businesses, you know, how do we create successful organizations? How do we create successful communities where people collaborate, where we suppress, You know, the tendency toward injustice and unfairness and bias. That, I think, countering those more unhealthy practices in in psychological climates is part of what we should be doing in organizations today as leaders.
0: Well, and I'm having real discussions with people truly grappling with how do we restore opportunities and yet not... If I look at my leadership team and I say our leadership team doesn't match the ratios of people in the population, not enough women, not enough what pick across ethnicity, sexual orientation, the varying things we measure on diversity, how do I create the pipeline? But some folks are saying fire the some and replace with others. That's how you create equity. And other people are saying, you can't do you that. Do that. <laughs> That's <laughs> the, right. The backlash is huge. There has to be some ethical approach, and it's not going to be acceptable to all. Sure. No matter which seat you're sitting in, someone is going to be displeased. And it, it seems like the, the idea of we are grappling with the moral and ethical commitment of our country, the foundation upon which we are built— And these are incredibly complex decisions and get to the heart of individuals who are working hard trying to care for their families in each bucket. And how do you, you I think of a highway on-ramp and how do you put the cars through traffic in a way that is considered fair. Now, that we just put stoplights up. But when they're human beings of all different skills and orientations— that sense of fairness is very complex.
1: It is complex, and there is no sort of magic bullet for all this. I mean, I think we do need to have conversations in various contexts about this. And so mm-hmm. and what I am suggesting, though, is we we can't stop it just looking at numbers. Yeah. You know, it has to be. And numbers oftentimes are, you know, how do we move people up in organizations so they're more representative in certain ranks within organizations? But Jedi space is really about the space that I inhabit, Am I creating an environment around me that's just and equitable and diverse and inclusive, and am I doing things engaged in practices that support people throughout the organization to enable them to be their their best for themselves, for our organization? Am I supportive? Am I holding people accountable to just practices? Am I assuring that people have the opportunity to be collaborative in our environment? And am I inspecting what we do on some periodic basis so that we can continue to get better at this, better at working in community together, better at assuring that people feel included and supported in the workplace?
0: You know, one of the things as I listen to you that strikes me, and I'm I'm recalling a conversation of just an hour ago where my colleague was saying we also have to own where we have gotten— for some of us, have gotten to our space because we were privileged and where most of us hold some level of bias to be aware of it and acknowledge it. Again, this is the grappling with, I don't know anyone who can say, I got where I am with privilege that is not also embarrassed or has some emotion that I'm happy to be where I am and I feel bad that I may be in a place that should rightfully, there may have been a better candidate for this job than me. How do we deal with the inner process that's tough when we're really paying attention to it, as well as building structures and processes in our organizations? If I'm not doing it inside of me, I don't know that I can do it in the most effective way outside of me.
1: Mm-hmm. And there are probably, Maureen, a hundred different approaches to that kind of work. Mm-hmm. And But what I'm seeing in organizations today is we put a heavy burden on outside consultants. We sort of delegate that to outside consultants to come in and give us a process of mm-hmm. exploring those kinds of personal issues as well as communal concerns. And, you know, in this article, I put a little bit more of a burden on CEOs and board chairs to set the climate because we look to our leaders to establish climate in organizations mm-hmm. to tell us what's important to give us a sense of direction in terms of our mission and the guiding principles how we work together and oftentimes they're not guiding our efforts within organizations to create just equitable diverse inclusive at least not in title, you know, we we create new positions. There have been a 30% increase in diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI officers in a number of companies. But I, I think we need to put a little bit more expectation on our leadership. And I think leaders need to understand a little bit more that they have a really powerful role to play in setting the context for more
0: inclusive,
1: more diverse, equitable, and
0: just environments. As you say that, I do appreciate that we have more people shepherding the DEI initiatives. And I think of the greenwashing and sustainability officers. I think it's a good first step to have someone paying attention. And it is a first step. It's not sufficient. If, as the leaders of an organization, we are not behaving in a way that is more just, equitable, that promotes and is personally embodied. It's not sufficient to say, but we have a DEI person over there, Sue in that cube. Everybody knows if they have a problem, they can go talk to Sue. And then I go about excluding people because I want to keep going to my whatever, whether it's my golf course or since I'm not a golfer, I want to go hiking. And I exclude folks who don't do my thing.
1: I think diversity, equity, and inclusion officers often point to numbers because they're easier to sort of identify as here's a change that's being made. But I'm not certain that putting more diverse individuals in organizations that are that have climates that aren't supportive of them, I don't know if that's doing justice to those individuals or to organization. And DEI officers oftentimes aren't in position of authority to hold people accountable to. Toxic behaviors and practices, unhealthy conflicts, activities that bring down the morale or cohesion of groups. That is, you know, role of me managers and leaders in organizations. And so I think CEOs and chairs, board chairs, have an opportunity to work together to really dial up or dial down their authority when they encounter these kind of toxic behaviors. And I wanted to make that point and provide them with some suggestions and strategies that, that might enable them to do so.
0: I want to give one more example, and then let's jump into those. All right. Years ago, I was a consultant in the quality movement, TQM, M- Malcolm Baldrige, all that stuff. And and as a consultant, I was situated full-time at a client site as the quality person. I was initially seated in an AV closet, and they literally had the well, that's not good. stuff piled around me. And, and, right. The senior person came and suggested I get a more prominent seat than the closet. And that even sparked questions about what did I do to get that special window seat? For some people, they certainly changed their behavior. But for most people, I still think it was window dressing. It was a good attempt. But to your point of no accountability or certainly no authority, you know, I ended up being the person processing the stuff in the suggestion box I was really highly paid to be a clerk. And for people thinking about ROI on structuring these positions, back to your recommendations, having that person needs to be supported by the culture and the systems. It is insufficient to plop a corn stalk in the middle of a bean field. It's <laughs> It may generate a stalk of corn, but it's certainly not going to generate... The change in the system and culture that we're looking for.
1: You know, Maureen, I'm a pragmatist. I've, I've enjoyed having the opportunity to serve as chair of a number of boards with CEOs who understood the importance of organizational climate mm-hmm. and the role that we both played in it. I, I mean, recently I served as chair of the board of Global Ties US in Washington and just an exceptional a CEO and uh, Dr. Catherine Brown, who we often talked about the behavior of people and individuals in, on the board and on the staff and the kind of climate we wanted to create in the organization and uh, made choices that we thought were more supportive of the diverse workforce that she intended to attract and that she she led, as well as attracting diverse board members and having us work more collectively and collaboratively and effectively together. And so, you know, I think... Um, You know, CEOs and board chairs can provide a great deal of strategic clarity and we can think about the impact of the decisions we make so that we don't put that corn stock in the middle of being filled. We we figure out how can we best support people. And that's especially challenging when you have people who are working remotely now in many workplaces. How do we continue to create supportive practices of people who are working at a distance, sometimes dealing with even mental health and stress in a very different way. You know, what I'm suggesting
0: through JEDI Space is, I think, something that uplifts the entire workforce. So you're hitting on them, let's go through systematically. Let's go and through And talk them. through sure. what these practices are. And we have, say, six minutes to, to go through them. Well, we're rapid fire.
1: JEDI, <laughs> just equitable, diverse, inclusive environments. Just, you know, really make sure that we are fair and purposeful and doing what's best for people. You know, when we think about just, not just the legal aspect of what's just, what's right to do here. So if you take those principles, providing clarity around those principles is a supportive active. So we have these principles, space, supportive. Let's start with S. Supportive practices include, you know, things like hosting board member orientations, providing clarity on roles of board and staff members and the importance of their various roles. It may mean having a clear policy manual that spells out what JEDI is all about, you know, and uh, periodically celebrating people and reinforcing behaviors that are consistent with just, equitable, diverse, and inclusive kinds of environments. That's what S is all about. You want me to keep going? Yep. Purposeful, <laughs> purposeful practices. I think here we're talking about the CEO and the chair really bringing about strategic clarity, communicating the broader cause and the JEDI principles to the workforce, to the board. It means linking these ideas to how the organization creates value, bringing out the best in people to create value, whether it's products and services for others, and addressing opportunities and threats that are faced by the organization. Uh, it also means integrating these ideas into the culture through, through a number of practices, whether it's faculty, staff, get-togethers, or whether it's employee lunch lunch. gatherings, lunch and learns, et cetera. A in space stands for accountability practices, and this is where you have standards for acceptable behavior that you spell out and you communicate and you address them when you see violations of these ideas about how we should be working together. In many organizations, it's it's a code of conduct. Boards have code of conduct. Sometimes staff have sort of HR policy manuals on what's acceptable in the workplace and what's inappropriate and unhealthy conduct. And that's important to point that out. And for some boards, it might be that we have term limits so that we can revisit with board members if their behavior is consistent with the ideas of the organization. If it's not, there's not a natural opportunity for them to transition off. Those are some of the kinds of things that I think are about accountability. In space, the C stands for collaborative practices. And I think leaders like CEOs and board chairs have an opportunity to structure interaction, to enable people to connect with one another and both the workplace and outside of it. And then cultivating a sense of connection and belonging is really a part of what collaboration is all about. So aiding in ways to overcome natural connections and divisiveness that can come by setting up boundaries are unhealthy clicks. How do we do that? And I think leaders have a real powerful role to, do, to, to play in that. And lastly, E is about evaluation, evaluative practices. You know, how do we assess and evaluate the factors that contribute to the climate that exists today? And how do we then, whether that's positive or negative, and then how yeah. do we create new conditions that support our Jedi ideas? This is sort of going through it pretty quickly.
0: So you've talked about boards and CEOs. I want to step it to the next couple of levels because my sense is each of these principles, while the board has the ultimate responsibility, as does the CEO. If I'm a mid-level manager, I still impact the organization and can still apply each of these within my span of control. I'm imagining many of our listeners have a sense that we must do something. We must. And I may not be able to get, I may not even know who my board chair is, especially in a large corporation, multinational corporation. And if I point to them on LinkedIn, I'm not going to ever have a conversation with them. So how do I make sure my division or my work group or my project team Even if I'm not in charge of anything, how do I make sure this happens from an informal or more junior-level role?
1: I love what Dr. Cyan Proctor, Cyan Proctor, says. By the way, Cyan Proctor was recently selected to be one of the citizens to go up in the Space X mission in the fall. She's going to be an astronaut as part of that crew. But she said, Jedi space is the outer space I want to visit. In the space I want to create and inhabit right here on Earth. It starts when we learn to cultivate our own individual Jedi voice as a force for positive change in order to create the collective Jedi space we envision for humanity's future. We all have some responsibility for creating the space around us. And so I do believe these Jedi space principles apply to everyone. However, I was arguing in the article that it has to start with leadership. I mean, I believe that people take a lot of direction from their leaders. And if they see their leaders behaving in a certain way and expecting good behaviors, I suspect they'll be more likely or more inclined to demonstrate those kind of behaviors if they work with their groups. Strong believer in embedded groups theory. But we all have responsibility for creating Jedi space. That's sort of my general idea.
0: I agree that the leadership is an accelerator. And frankly, if I really value it and I'm working for an organization that doesn't, I may find someplace that does.
1: And impoverished leaders can also create impoverished conditions in organizations where certain behaviors is acceptable and tolerated. And to me, that's a sin.
0: So as we look at attracting and retaining talent as our markets heat up, especially in in some sectors already hot or overheated, these are the kinds of conditions and behaviors leaders can demonstrate that will in fact create exceptional organizations. I believe if you want to
1: retain and attract exceptional talent, whether it's on your board or staff, during more uncertain and stressful times especially, our more competitive periods, it's going to require more caring and compassionate leaders who are masters of developing supportive organizational climates. We
0: need more Jedi masters. Christopher, you have nailed it. Thank you. For our listeners, how would they find more of your writing? You're writing across several different platforms and several different subjects. So how would people learn more about what you're up to?
1: You want to learn more about what I'm up to, you can go to drchristopherwashington.com. And most of my publications, more recent publications, you can find there.
0: And so you're writing for Forbes nonprofit? I write for
1: faculty on Medium, and I write for Medium. And I've written a number of articles for like eLearning Magazine. You'll find a wide range of my publications and, and thoughts out on drchristopherwashington.com.
0: Great. And they can find you on LinkedIn?
1: I'm on LinkedIn.
0: They can go to Franklin University. Christopher
1: Washington. You can find me on Franklin <laughs> University. And you can also find me under, uh, if you Google Christopher Washington Forbes, my nonprofit council posts are all available through that
0: website. Thank you. And to our listeners, This is such an important topic. No simple answers. That we need to do something. I assume most people agree. But what we do and how we do it, Christopher offers some very concrete examples. And yet how we put those into place in each of our unique organizations is really going to vary. How we navigate our own feelings about it our thoughts about it, our action, our spiritual commitment in some cases to how do we define just? How do we define moral? Is this a moral imperative? For some people, the answer is yes. For others, no. I'm not suggesting that there is a right answer. I am suggesting that each of us do that internal exploration to find what is right for us and then have purposeful practices, have supportive practices, have collaborative practices? How do I interact with colleagues and collectively grapple with who are we as an organization? What are our agreements? What are our commitments to our customers, to our team, to all of our stakeholders? This is a big challenge of our era to really navigate through and set the pace for and the tone for how we go forward. Thank you to Christopher.
1: Thank you, Maureen. You nailed it on the head. That's what we need to do to create the world we want, the
0: communities we want, and the schools we want. Thank you. And up next, we will talk to Valerie Grant about her win as the director of Geotech Vision same construct, looking at the SDGs, Sustainable Development Goals set forth by the UN. As a global population, we have committed to accomplishing certain goals. And as Christopher talked about, looking at the results. And Valerie is one of the winners who is an exemplar for other people to follow. Valerie Grant is the managing director of Geotech Vision, a knowledge services company she founded and built into an international, reliable, and quality provider of a range of customized services and data driven solutions to governments, NGOs, and corporate entities. Valerie is a lifelong learner who is passionate about technology and entrepreneurship, and she relishes every opportunity to mentor women, entrepreneurs, and young people. She sits on several national, regional, and international boards and committees, and she is the 2020 We Empower U.S. Sustainability Development Goals Challenge awardee. Valerie, first of all, let's start with, that's a mouthful. What did you win the challenge award for?
2: Well, thanks, Maureen. Um, the Women Power Challenge is a global business competition for women entrepreneurs and social entrepreneurs who are advancing the UN Sustainable Development Goals and inspiring communities that they serve in. As the awardee for Latin America and the Caribbean, Geotech Vision has been very focused on reducing inequities in our work, so speaking directly to SDG 10. So in the time of COVID, we have recognized that many students have been forced into online learning literally overnight because of school closures. And so what we did was to also look at those underserved communities that didn't have access to the digital tools to keep learning. We have used our location tools to identify these communities, and we've been partnering with like-minded individuals and organizations and foundations, and we have been providing them with our own education-ready geotablets to these students in the digitally heard communities and the rural communities and in low-income families. And this is an initiative that directly impacts Sustainable Goal number 4, quality education, as well as gender equality, because what we have found is from the data is that more girls have been impacted by this situation with COVID-19 and
0: lack of digital tools. That seems like a significant undertaking. So tell me a little bit more about how you came to create this.
2: Okay so it dates back to 2014. I was sitting at home one day and I saw a child dragging a very heavy backpack and I thought that you know it's, it's crazy in this day and age we need to be using more digital tools in education. So we decided that we were going to create education ready tablets and so we did and we piloted with government of Jamaica in a pilot program for tablets in schools And then in 2019, we recognized that not many people were using technology responsibly, but we wanted to get schools in underserved communities to use more technology and also to teach them to use it responsibly. So we started something called a digital citizenship program where we're giving our tablets to these kids and also sharing how they can use technology responsibly in this digital age. But then we fast forward to 2020 and COVID-19 hits. So we wanted, we we, we recognized that there was a need. And so we said, how could we help to address that need? And so we started something called EduTech Aid where we basically overnight in April decided that we were gonna stand up a website that allowed us to do a technology needs survey that allowed us to see where the gaps were. And then we were going to do something about addressing those gaps in partnership with others and whatever we could do as a company as well.
0: So now we have turned Edutech Aid from just an initiative into a foundation. Fabulous. And so absolutely necessary at this point in time. So now let's shift to the main content of our conversation, which is about the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion at every level of leadership. And I would say, particularly in the boardroom, because if we don't have it in the boardroom, it often doesn't move down to the next levels in the organization. You were a part of a panel at the ILA 2020 conference that focused on the diversity dividend. So this diversity dividend is now well-documented, but a third of companies internationally still have no women at all on their boards. And that's just one of the dimensions boardrooms might be missing. As a businesswoman What's been your experience with this?
2: It has been, as you've said, there has been very few women on boards. My personal experience has been that the situation has been, gratefully, improving over the last three to five years. And I think that's mainly because organizations are being more deliberate in educating and leading that advocacy campaign to help to accelerate that movement, to have more gender balance on corporate boards. But it is, however, for me, still a very lonely place because I find that on a lot of the boards that I serve on, it's disproportionately comprised of older males. And I believe that women and younger persons serving on these boards also have a responsibility to help to change that because they can pave the way for others to be there. They can personally decide to be mentors. They can groom others, prepare them to take the opportunity to serve on boards. And the benefits, as you've mentioned, are well documented. And in this age of diversity, it just means that it would augur well for the company because those companies would better represent their employees and they would improve the quality and the thoughtfulness of the decisions that they are making, which inevitably will
0: impact the bottom line. So you mentioned the diversity dividend being well-documented. For our listeners who may be unfamiliar with that, what is the diversity dividend beyond what you've just mentioned?
2: There, It's just in terms of being able to to have the kind of thoughtfulness in the decision making, having different perspective. It is well known that women bring a certain level of empathy. They also bring a different perspective just because of gender, because of the experiences that they've had. And when we speak about diversity, uh, we are talking about women, but we're not just talking about that. We're talking about social backgrounds. We are talking about age. We are talking about religious preferences. We're talking about all of these things. And so because companies, their clients, the people they are leading have these unique differences, having people on the board who understand these unique differences, they're better able to address it. And when you have motivated employees as well as persons who understand how your customers operate, then inevitably it means that you, you will do better as an
0: organization. So in your experience, it sounds like you are often the only woman and also much younger than some of the men that you're serving with. What is that like? Because if you bring a different point of view, which I assume you do, then you're in the outlier role often.
2: Yes, so oftentimes you're very correct, but I'm finding that you have to you have to know yourself and you have to because sometimes it can be scary to speak up, but you have to be bold enough to know that yes, your perspective is valuable and put it on the table. It's sometimes it's not accepted, but it is considered. They may take a moment and they will look at it, and oftentimes it's, it's included. So I am finding more and more. More often than not, my perspective is included in the decision-making.
0: First, that's fabulous to hear. And I assume for you, especially as a younger person, it means that you have had to develop self-confidence, an ability to communicate and articulate and make a business case very effectively if you are often in the position of not just agreeing with others in the room.
2: That's definitely so. So it means being very prepared. Firstly, you don't go to these meetings being unprepared. So they they are board documents. You need to review those documents. You need to make notes and you need to be prepared to have a position on them and to be able to defend what that position is. So it can't simply be because you want this, but you have to show, as you've said, the business case for it and highlight the benefits to the organization. And when you make a solid logical argument that is backed up by the facts associated with it and highlighting the business benefits, then it's often hard for for someone to just push it aside. But if you go into the boardroom not being prepared, then you're not taken seriously. So as an individual, you have that responsibility to make sure that you show up. And so that's what I try to do.
0: And and again, having served on boards, when you are the, the alternate point of view, it sounds like you would also have to be more prepared, have Definitely. more data making making your business case because it's easy to go to a board meeting when everyone agrees with you. It's much harder when, when you see the world through different eyes.
2: Yes, it is. And oftentimes it, it's not just seeing it through the lens of being a woman, it's also seeing it through the perspective of being a younger one, but not just because I'm younger, but because I, a lot of my team members and the people I work with are younger and they have such diverse perspective and they really do think differently. So we have to take that into consideration. So one of the things that I find as a leader is that I have to listen to my team. I've really learned to listen and to get the kind of feedback to understand what is really working and to test that and to also be able to articulate that in the boardroom.
0: And so now let's move from the boardroom to the organization. What do you believe the organization or organizations can do differently to incorporate more diversity in the higher level leaders? So how do we get our organizations to have more diversity? I believe that it is something that we have to be deliberate about.
2: We have to, leaders need to recognize that they must dive in and they need to analyze from a business perspective how diversity will impact that organization in its various dimensions. And I think simply put, make diversity a priority and address all aspects of it. And making sure that the recruitment strategy embeds diversity in that strategy. And I think leaders need to provide leadership development opportunities, for persons within the organization. And I think most importantly, what I would say is that leaders themselves, they should be refining and improving their very own leadership skills. Because if they do that and they look at what this century is offering and the environment that we live in today, then inevitably they will come to recognize that in order to be a good leader, these are some of the things that you have to be contemplating at this point in time
0: developing, mentoring. I would guess along with that is also creating a culture that really values. We don't just hire diverse people and keep them out of the the key decisions, but the equity and inclusion piece that they are sought. So we get the right diverse people, the ones we really respect and can't function without, just like I would have everybody else on my senior team being the right people for those roles.
2: Yes, certainly. Because if you're supposed to build that culture, and I think there is a there is a thin balance because people think they build a culture, we think about oh the right organizational fit, and if we're not careful, then we start having everybody looking like us. So in building that culture, it has to be carefully crafted to understand that different persons bring different perspective, and it's almost like a body. The hands have its own thing that it does. We cannot function mm-hmm. without our hands the same way we can't function without. Or feet or eyes. So it's about making sure that everybody, every part, every individual within the organization can coexist together, can co-create and can function and build in that culture that embraces
0: the diversity. I was just on an interview with someone talking about how divided our country is. And he talked about polarization that in fact having very diverse points of view is actually healthy. It's that ability to work with, not be polarized, but that creating resilient organizations means we welcome differing points of view and have processes and a culture that supports compromise and creating elevated solutions that integrate different points of view and actually create something different not just you give up and I give up and we're both unhappy. It sounds like you're pointing very much to diversity allows us to create that new new solutions that wouldn't be accessible to us without that.
2: Yes, I I definitely believe that is what brings that melting pot and it kind of takes us outside of our comfort zone, but it allows us to create something that is outside of the status quo and not just, as you say, give up or compromise, but an ability to kind of build our own solutions and build our
0: own culture and make something that's absolutely amazing. Which is what we hope for, right? So let's look then at specifically at your industry, the geospatial industry. So beyond corporate boards, what do you believe can be done to incorporate greater diversity in boards and in organizations within your industry?
2: Well, in our industry, unfortunately, still predominantly a male-dominated industry, and especially at the managerial and the, the leadership levels, that's what we have found. And many boards, interestingly again, are made up of white older males. And I believe that, I'll I'll give you an example. I'll give you the World Geospatial Industry Council, a board that I sit on, an organizational board that I sit on. The patron board has 11 members on that patron board, one female. The executive board has 23 members on that board and it has a sum total of three females and one black female. So not it's not representative of the industry. Minorities are not represented. It doesn't really auger well. So one of the things that needs to be done, like with any other industry group, I would say, is for the leaders to be more deliberate about diversity and to treat it as a priority. Because if you are the people that are setting the direction for the industry then you need to make sure that it represents the entire spectrum of the industry. And I think there is a need for those leaders to have greater accountability, transparency, and recognize, I think something else, importance of feedback. Because if people are saying it to you, then you should take it seriously. You should make sure that you evaluate how good are your efforts of making sure that there is diversity and inclusion
0: in the industry. We are not doing this because it's nice or polite or something like that, that this is an absolute businesses are more effective. NGOs are more effective, governments are more effective when they represent the people they serve, and when they embrace the differing points of view that will make them more profitable, that will make them more engaging for their employees to work within. That as people are facing some of the social justice challenges, that for business people, again, it's not just a box to check because it gets me out of social justice court, but it is absolutely a bottom line and a top line can be driver for more effective businesses.
2: Yeah, I, I think there is this whole concept of the fourth dimension, and you, you 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 think about not just doing business but doing good, and also having profitability, but having purpose. And if you if businesses are really supposed to get to that intersection where there is that fourth dimension, then diversity is absolutely critical for them to be able to do that, because that's the only way that they can truly address the challenges that we're
0: facing in an increasingly complex world. I think you hit it on the head that as we have more complexity, we need more diverse thinking. It's interesting to me that we're even still having to have the conversation. Yes. At this point in time, it should be understood. We keep saying it's
2: well documented. And I suppose maybe what the challenge is, is it awareness? How do we make sure that people understand this? And I think the needle is a shifting. I think there is a greater understanding, there's a greater appreciation, but I only wish that it could be accelerated. We can do more. Is it the messaging? What do? How do we do more to make sure that it moves at a faster
0: pace? As you figure that out, we will have you talk to our listeners. It is a complex issue, right? That people are on seats, at some point they need to exit, new people need to come in, our recruiting processes need to be updated our development processes, as you said, and leaders themselves need to change how they think about who they are as leaders and how they lead and truly see that being in organizations that lack diversity create a gap. If you think your world is working well, then you don't see anything missing. Yeah, but I'm heartened. I think it's we're
2: having the conversation. It's being taken seriously. And I, 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 I believe, I'm full of hope that the persons who are lagging behind will come on board and recognize the value of having diversity and inclusion.
0: Valerie, thank you for being such a brilliant example of what a diverse board member looks like and brings to the conversation. Your level of accomplishment and professionalism and thoughtfulness really do embody the reason we need more, that you bring a great deal of all of the ingredients I would be looking for as a board member. So thank you.
2: And Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you for investing your precious time with us today. We're delighted to share the wisdom from the International Leadership Association 2020 Global Leadership Conference, Leading at the Edge. We encourage you to join for additional conversations. Please bookmark this podcast, subscribe, like it, share it with your friends and colleagues. Most importantly, thank you for focusing on elevating your own leadership and making an impact in the world today.